your Bibles, turn with me again, Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 1. The story that is told here in Matthew draws a contrast, the contrast between the hate of the religious leadership in Jerusalem toward Jesus with the story of the extravagant love and devotion of the woman of Bethany. At the very time that the religious leaders were plotting the death of Jesus, another person was preparing for his death in a completely different way and with a completely different attitude. Now Jesus has posed more and more a problem for the authorities and religious leadership in Jerusalem the confrontations in the temple that we have looked at between the religious leaders and Jesus have gone badly for them. Each day his popularity with the people seems to be growing and they now reach a decision. Something has to be done to remove Jesus as a threat. But because it was the time of the Passover, the religious leaders were afraid of the reaction of the people if he was arrested. But read with me in verse number one. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And the chief priest and the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas. And they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. And they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So our text tells us that the days of the Passover are at hand. Now Passover was a time of intense nationalistic pride among the people of Israel. It was a time that they were to remember their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And there are only a few days left for the families to make the preparations that are necessary and there is a deep sense of urgency among the religious leaders that they need to get rid of Jesus before this important holiday. But as we've already said, the leaders were afraid that arresting Jesus during the feast would cause a riot. Yet, the arrest would have to be made in the next few hours if he were to be removed before the Passover. Events are really about to spiral out of control. In just a week's time, Jesus will be dead. In the meantime, Jesus has been invited to a banquet. A banquet in the house of a man named Simon. And although Mark doesn't tell us, Matthew doesn't tell us, John tells us that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are in attendance at this banquet. The occasion is a celebration dinner, a thank you Jesus dinner, if you will. A dinner for Lazarus had been restored to life from the dead, and it would seem that Simon had been healed of leprosy. 
It was no doubt a joyful time of food and fellowship. And then they was, as they were in the very midst of the meal, they were, witnessed a remarkable event that none of them would ever forget. And I want you to notice with me three things about Mary's worship. First of all, there is a demonstration or a display of Mary's worship. Verse 6 says, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Matthew doesn't tell us who this woman that anointed Jesus is, but John tells us that it is Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Perhaps the meal is over, and as is the custom, the people are reclining around the table, talking, and then something happens that's going to be talked about for centuries. It's really just a simple gesture of a grateful heart. I don't believe that it was meant to be a showy thing. In fact, I believe that Mary was quite unaware of anybody but Jesus. With a heart that was overflowing with gratitude for what Jesus has done for her and her family. She's gone to a very special place of uh, safekeeping in her home. And she has removed from that place of safekeeping a bottle a bottle of special ointment, and she has brought it to Jesus. And there she knelt at the feet of Jesus, and she quietly anointed his head and his feet with this very precious oil. The story tells us some things about her worship. It tells us, first of all, that Mary's worship is spontaneous. She was not concerned at all about what the people thought. She was not concerned or worried about how much the ointment cost. She cared nothing for the customs of the day. She entered into a supper where women were not usually welcome. She let down her hair in public, an unthinkable act in that culture. And she openly expressed her love and gratitude for Jesus. At that moment, she was caught up completely in worshiping the Lord. And I have to personally wonder just once what it would be like to be caught up in that fashion with worshiping the Lord that we were completely unaware of what other people were doing, what other people were thinking. Not only was Mary's worship spontaneous, it was sacrificial. Mary and her worship illustrates the truth that worship is not coming to God to get something. Worship is coming to God to surrender something. Mary didn't just pour out a little of the perfume. We are told that she broke the jar and that she poured it all out. I think Mary's behavior certainly illustrates the principle that was declared by King David hundreds of years earlier 
when he said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. I wonder what an understanding of that truth would bring to our worship. What we see demonstrated in our text today is love's extravagance. Is this gift really extravagant? Yes. In John's account, Judas tells us it's worth 300 denarii. Now that's hard to fix an exact dollar amount because it's constantly changing. But we can do it this way. A denarii was the average daily wage for a man for a day. So it was about a year's salary. What's your year's salary? That's about what this gift cost Mary. So imagine putting whatever you make for at least 10 months of your year into a bottle, breaking the top off and pouring it out. That's how extravagant this was. In fact, Mary took the most precious thing she possessed and she spent it all on Jesus. This costly perfume was something that was derived from a special plant that only grew in India. What we learn is that love gives all. And its only regret is that it doesn't have more to give. Her heart is so filled with joy and thanksgiving that she broke the narrow neck of the alabaster flask containing that ointment and she poured the whole pound upon Jesus until literally the fragrance filled the whole house. Now there are churches all over the world today meeting for what they call worship. But the question is, is worship really happening in all those places? Well, maybe there's one person on the second row and a couple of people on the back row and some people in the balcony who are worshiping. But others, they come and they go away disappointed, unchanged. They have not had a worship experience. Where does the fault lie? Some blame the music or the sermon, but the real problem is with them. Sometimes they do not worship because they do not offer a sacrifice. The plate comes by, they reach deep into their pocket and pull out $3 bills and place it in the offering plate. No sacrifice, no worship. The preacher preached on sin, and they hardened their heart and would not confess their sin or offer it to God as a sacrifice. They refused to lay their sin on the altar. Oh, they may be a little bit sorry, but the, and they know it was wrong, but really not that wrong. They just decide they will not change. Others don't worship because they hear God calling them to lay their gift on the altar, their spiritual gift or talent or ability. But they look at the job and they say, I can't do that. I don't have time. I don't like to do that. I don't feel comfortable doing that. 
God is calling for them to lay it on the altar, to use it for him, for his church, for his kingdom, and they say, no thanks. They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be inconvenienced or asked to do anything. That would be a sacrifice. That's just too much to ask. What they want is they just want to come to church, sit in their pew, and worship. But guess what? If that's the situation, it ain't happening. They are not worshiping because they do not worship because there is no sacrifice. Not only is there a demonstration of Mary's worship, but secondly, there is a disapproval of Mary's worship. Verses 8 and 9, But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. The text says that the disciples are the ones who are critical of Mary and what she has done. In fact, it says that they are indignant. That's an interesting Greek word. It means snorted. They snorted like angry horses because of what Mary has done. You know, it's always a sad thing when people say they love the Lord, but they act just like the lost world. It's a pitiful thing when God's people react in a judgmental and unkind way. But that's exactly what the disciples do here. They were narrow-minded and fault-finding. I think Jerry Vines has it right when he says, the world can build a stadium that costs several million dollars. That's great. It's good for the community. They can have a fireworks display and spend thousands of dollars. That's good for public morale. But let a church build a building to reach people for the Lord, and you'll hear them say, what a waste. Wasting all that money on buildings. Even the disciples had that kind of attitude and mentality. The world looks at anything that's done for God, <clears throat> and they describe it as waste. I told you this story before. It's familiar to you, perhaps, but it's a great story about what it means to give your life for the Lord. In 1904, William Borden, heir to the Borden Dairy Estate, graduated from Chicago High School a millionaire. Teenagers, wouldn't you like to graduate from high school a millionaire? His parents gave him, for a graduation trip, a trip around the world, traveling through Asia and the Middle East and Europe, gave Borden a burden for the world's hurting people. So riding home, he said, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. When he made that decision, he wrote in the back of his Bible two words, no reserves. Turning down high-paying jobs after his graduation from Yale, he entered two more words in his Bible no retreats. Finally completing studies at Princeton Seminary, Borden sailed for China intent to work with the Muslims. He stopped in Egypt for some preparate language training. And while he was there, he was stricken with cerebral meningitis. 
Within the matter of a month, he died. A waste, many would say. Not in God's plan. In his Bible, underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he had written two more words, no regrets. I want to live my life with no regrets, don't you? I think the key way that we can do that is give our lives in the service of God. The criticism of Mary's action really centered on the cost and the extravagance of her gift. After all, the, the money that would, could have come from that gift would have bought a lot of food for hungry people. While that is true, John tells us the real motive in John chapter 12 and verses 4 through 6. He says, Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. It was Judas, the man who knew the price of everything and the worth of nothing, who calculated the worth of the spikenard, this fragrant oil, and instantly calculated the waste of this woman's extravagance. The problem really was greed. The motivations of Judas were revealed so drastically by Mary's selfless act that he himself reacted violently. John tells us that behind this charade of concern for the poor, the truth is that he really wanted to get his hands on the money. The disciples, although they may have been sincere, allowed the temporal value of the oil to blind them to the eternal value of total commitment and worship to God. This disapproval of Mary's worship led to the third and final thing, and that is the defense of Mary's worship in verse number 10. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the world, in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial for her. Jesus literally rebukes his disciples in the strongest possible language. He says, why do you trouble this woman? And the word trouble mean, means blows or strikes. It's the same word that, that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17 where he says, I bear in my body the marks, the blows, the strikes of the Lord Jesus. The scars of having, having been beaten. Jesus is saying, why are you beating her up with your words? Why are you beating her up with your criticisms? 
and your condemnations. The Lord says, she has done a good work. Literally, he says, she has done a beautiful work. Now, why did Jesus call it beautiful? First of all, he called it beautiful because of her loving motive, because of her motivation. Secondly, he called it beautiful because it was a spontaneous response to the, tom to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You know what it's like to sometimes get the feeling that you need to do something. Many years ago, <clears throat> William Barclay wrote these words. Love can see the things that only come around once. It is one of the tragedies of life that often when we are moved to do something, we do not do it. It may be that we are too shy to do it, and we feel awkward about it. It may be that second thoughts suggest a more prudent and common sense course. It comes in the simplest things, the impulse to send a letter to someone to thank them for something that they have done, the impulse to tell someone how much we love them and appreciate them and how grateful we are to them, the impulse to give some special gift or to speak some special word of encouragement. And the tragedy is the impulse is so often strangled at birth. This would be such a finer world if there were more people like this woman who acted on her impulse of love because she knew in her heart of hearts that if she did not do it then she would never have an opportunity to do it at all. And how this last extravagant impulsive kindness touched the heart of Jesus. The third reason that Mary's act was beautiful was because it was sacrificial. It was a lavish act and therefore therein lay the beauty of it. Jesus said it is beautiful because she held nothing back. Can you think of some time in your life when someone did something for you that was unexpected, perhaps even undeserved, just because they wanted to? Probably, if that has happened to you, you will never forget it. Perhaps they traveled out of their way just to see you. Perhaps they stayed with you in the waiting room of a hospital. Perhaps they gave you a gift that really touched you to your very core. Perhaps they met a need in your life that you didn't know how you are going to manage. Or they made it possible for you to do something you had always wanted to do, but been unable to do. That's the kind of situation that we're talking about. Now we must understand that Jesus is not arguing against the caring for the poor and the needy. Against social involvement. In fact, he says in verse 11, the poor will be with you always and whenever you wish you may do them good. He is implying that believers have a responsibility 
an ongoing responsibility to help those in need. And the Lord Jesus takes up Mary's defense in verse number 12. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Some remarkable things here if we take the time to notice. Mark adds that Jesus says she has done what she could. Jesus would have never said that she did what she could if she had measured the perfume out in, gr in, a gr in grudging drops. Complete sacrifice is the only acceptable expression of a life that has been redeemed by the sacrifice of God's only Son. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable logical service. We have to ask ourselves, is my devotion to Jesus costing me anything? Have I had to give up anything to follow Jesus? Have I ever been inconvenienced in any way? Jesus said she did what she could. And the question is, have we? She did what she could, being the person she was, according to her personality and her ability. No higher praise could be given to a follower of Jesus than his words, they did what they could. She followed her heart. And he wants us to do what we can do. He wants us to have the courage to follow our hearts as we do what we can do. Within these words are the knowledge that Mary was one of the few people who understood what Jesus was saying about his own ultimate sacrifice. He has been telling his disciples over and over and over, I will be killed, I will be crucified, I will be taken from this life. But they just haven't seemed to get it. It's important to note that the spikenard that she talks about here is the ointment that was used in embalming a body. It was used for the burial of the dead. Although Jesus has repeatedly spoken plainly of his impending death, the disciples had not believed. All of those who followed him had not understood except Mary. Jesus said she did it for my burial. Of all those around him, Mary was the only one who had the sensitivity of heart to understand what was happening and try to minister to the needs of Jesus. And finally, in verse 13, the Lord prophesied that her worship would be remembered forever. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. She is commended for her actions for the Lord. In fact, he tells those around him that her sacrifice 
will be remembered and repeatedly told for all time. Legacy. It's a big word. Legacy. Legacy is the influence that we leave behind. Mary left a legacy of worship. What she did was worthy of being remembered. It was memorable. Jesus said that the story of this beautiful act would be told in her memory wherever the gospel was preached. And here we are over 2,000 years later fulfilling his word and honoring her act. John chapter 12 and verse 3 says, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. The entire house was filled with the sweet-smelling fragrance of that perfume. What Mary did was a beautiful thing. It was true worship. It was an example of the extravagance of love. Mary's action has become a symbol of the fragrance of a loving heart poured out without consideration of cost. I like to think that as Jesus went to the cross, he could still smell the fragrance of that ointment upon his body, that last act of sacrificial word, worship of Mary. And it was to his heart an encouragement. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that our worship would lead us to the place that it is sacrificial and spontaneous in response to the love that you have shown for us. That we're not, we're not satisfied without a sacrifice. That we're not satisfied with the mundane. We're not satisfied with mediocrity. We want our worship to please you. We want our worship to honor you and glorify you. And Lord, we pray that you'd move us to the place that that is what our worship is. Father, in this place there may be someone here this morning that has never turned their lives over to you completely. Never recognized that they're a sinner and that they can't save themselves. Never recognized that the only way that they'll ever enter into heaven is by accepting the sacrifice that you made for us on the cross by repenting of their sins and asking for your forgiveness. Father, if there's one here today that is in that situation, I pray that you'd help them to understand that they can do that. They can transact that business here in this place before they leave. They can right now turn to you, repent of their sins, and call on you to be saved. Father, each of us need to examine our hearts, examine our worship. Help us, Lord, to grow in our relationship with you and grow in our worship experience. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?